Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 1. This morning we continue talking about the Christian's relationship to prosperity, God's promises of prosperity. And we have learned quite a bit. I think this is number six or seven in the series. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you. I hope that it has enlarged your faith, enlarged your vision for what God could do and would do through your life. And so I hope that it's been a blessing to you. We're going to pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way to verse 20. This is one of the most important passages regarding God's promises of prosperity to us. And I, uh, I ask that you would, with all the strength that God provides, be as carefully attentive as you possibly can. We don't normally read 20 verses. And so do your best to pay attention carefully to each verse. Let's begin reading in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that, your Lord, that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Amen. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, and fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do, to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Amen that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Well, there is so much to learn here and so much to say. Um, so whatever I do say this morning, I will have to admit is only touching the surface of this incredibly important text. 
And I will also acknowledge right out of the gate that if you're new to Christianity or if you've not been sitting under faithful teaching for a season of time, it will be very difficult for you to know how to apply these passages in Deuteronomy to your life today. It will be difficult for you. But I do promise if you persist and you continue in the faith and continue sitting under faithful teaching, you will learn how to apply these passages to your everyday life. It's not always easy to know what to do regarding commands with copper and iron and stones and agriculture and vineyards and fighting giants. How exactly does that apply to me today? It does apply to you, and there is a way that you can understand this, but if you're a little confused, don't feel bad. We've all been there. Amen? But with that said, I do want to say this is one of the most important prosperity passages in the Bible, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. And, and the book of Deuteronomy is incredibly important for you as a Christian to know the sort of future that God has in store for you, a future of blessings. He has a wonderful plan for your life, and don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. That doesn't mean that it's going to be squeaky clean or a bed of roses. There's going to be suffering and affliction and persecution, as he promised you, but it will be a wonderful life. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I've got just a list here of a few blessings and blessings of prosperity that the book of Deuteronomy offers to us. And I'm just going to run them off real, qu real quick here. The book of Deuteronomy promises us, through faithful obedience to God, through His Spirit, increased children. That's right. What a blessing. The Lord has been good to us. Amen? Amen. Make sure you don't forget the Lord and think that by the strength and the power of your own hand that you accomplish these things. No church ever grew in its population for any other reason, but God has been blessed. God has been a blessing and God has been faithful. Amen. Amen. Increased children. Wow. Children and grandchildren and great grandchildren is one of the promises of the word of God. I claim that promise right now. I hope you do as well. What an amazing promise. But when we think about this promise corporately, what we're talking about here is increased population. As they went into the promised land and they had to turn stones into copper and fields into grapes, that's going to take a lot of work, a lot of specialization, a lot of division of labor. That's going to take a big population. And God promised them growth in population size. Imagine if this world had more godly Christians, numerous all over the world, godly Christians multiplying in number. Imagine how this earth might blossom. Now, don't believe the lie that increased population is a problem. That's only a problem when your government is socialistic and doesn't follow God's economic laws. In God's economy, overpopulation is not a thing. More population means more prosperity, more abundance. Another one that Deuteronomy promises us is blessings for our daily work. Your daily work does not have to be drudgery. It can be filled with purpose and fulfillment and success. And he promises that you can feel that on the inside, even when it's difficult. It doesn't have to be a monotonous and miserable drudgery. He promises you the power to get wealth. He promises you blessings, and the expression is blessings that will overtake you. Now, he gives us a treasure, a treasure chest of blessings. You reach down in there and you pull out a little bit. But this, no, this is blessings that overtake you. That's like a treasure chest being dumped out on your head. The ice bucket challenge of blessings all on you, overtaking you. You can't outrun them like a tidal wave coming after you. The blessings will overtake you, he promises. 
He promises increased livestock. That means more steak, just to apply that for you. (laughs) An increased rain. We need that around here. An increased harvest. He promises you financial freedom from debt so that you don't have to be perpetually paying other people interest, but rather you can be receiving interest. He promises you houses and schools and church buildings that you can use for his glory that you never built. Speaking of, he has been good to us. Amen. If you get nothing out of this whole series, one thing I want you to know is how good we have it because of God. How good he has been. But with that comes a warning, doesn't it? Be careful lest when you have it all, you forget the Lord your God and begin to attribute all of those blessings to some other God. Let's never forget that warning, Christ Church. Amen? Well, there's so many blessings here in the book of Deuteronomy. But I wanted you to see this morning three, maybe four, we'll see how much time we have, prerequisites to blessing. Conditions. You see, because these blessings aren't talking about justification. Justification is by grace through faith. Amen? Salvation is not of you. It is not of man. Salvation is of the Lord. Period. Make sense? What did Jonah say? Jonah said when he was um, in the belly of the whale, in absolute darkness, with total inability to accomplish anything, he said, salvation is of the Lord. And our spiritual condition is just as dead and, and swallowed up as Jonah until the Lord gives us the Spirit of God, opens up our eyes, gives us life, gives us life. Amen? That's all grace. That's all grace. But he's not creating little automatons, little robots. He created you anew, caused you to be born from anew, but now you are a son or a daughter in the kingdom of heaven, and he longs to be a joint heir with you, to rule and reign with you. He wants to grow you up as some, someone who is mature and can come alongside and work in the kingdom. Amen? What that basically means is that you have to fulfill some prerequisites. You have to participate with grace. Just as you participate in sanctification, you have to participate in this journey of prosperity and blessing. You have to participate. And you can see the first condition right there in verse 1. The first condition of prosperity is obedience. Obedience. Say that with me. What's the first condition? Obedience. It's a prerequisite. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. What's that next word there? That you may live. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Hey, Christian, you've been saved. You're not in Egypt anymore. You're not a slave to sin. You've been justified by grace through faith. But now you've got a life to live. In the name of King Jesus. And one of the things you need to do is be careful to obey all that he has commanded you. Isn't that true in our own households? We bless our children with many undeserved blessings, but there's a lot of things they don't get if they don't obey. If your son can't obey the traffic laws, and he can't honor and obey his parents, then what does he not get? He does not get the keys, right? There are some conditions, some prerequisites to continued prosperity and blessing. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that. You may live and multiply and go in and possess the land the Lord swore to to give to your fathers. So you see the promises there. You can see them right there. First of all, it's life that you may live. Now that does include 
Long life? Long life is one of the covenantal promises that we read about in Scripture time and time again, which is why nations where Christianity has come have longer life expectancies. That's the primary reason. And that's why we can expect in the United States to have lower life expectancies as we turn from the Lord and as we continue to apostatize and not do justice in this land. Amen? But it's not just existence. It's not just length of life that's promised here. It's life and life abundant. It's life characterized by wine and by bread and by victory over giants, by parties and happiness and children all around the dinner table like shoots from an olive branch. It's life. That is one of the promises of God. And notice the other one there, multiplication. I already spoke on that, but that's increased division of labor, increased specialization, increased population, increased dominion. Right? We need a lot of people doing a lot of things and doing their various specializations and gifts in this church and in this community if we're going to enjoy all that the earth has to provide. Notice also as well that they will be given the land to possess. See, it's one thing to own the land, but it's another thing to possess it. Right? They had already been given the land. The land was theirs. The Bible says the wealth is taken from the wicked and given to the righteous. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, says Solomon. And the unfaithful servant who takes his one talent and sticks it in the ground and doesn't turn a profit for the kingdom, what happens to that one thing that he has? It is taken from him and redistributed to the faithful servants. See, God's not a socialist. He doesn't go from the five and ten to the one. He goes from the one to the five and the ten. That may not make sense to us, but that is, what, that is the economy of God's kingdom. That those who do not have, those who have, I should say, what they do have is taken from them and redistributed to the faithful. And he had taken the land of Israel from the Canaanites, which he had given them for nearly 400 years. After much long-suffering and patience, they continued to apostatize, to sacrifice their children, to uh, mutilate their children, uh, much in the same way we do in this country. He eventually took that land from them and gave it to the Israelites. But he did say, if you don't walk in my ways, I will take it from you. And he did and gave it to the Romans. We can expect that here in our own nation as well, honestly. We can own the title deed, but you will not possess that land if you do not follow the conditions of prosperity in the Scriptures. Look at the conditions, if you would. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Do you see the cause and effect relationship between obedience and prosperity? It's very simple, right? It's very simple. What do you have to obey? The whole commandment. And how careful do you have to obey it? You must be careful. You must be diligent. You must be attentive to the very details of God's law if you wish to possess the land, if you wish to have life and to have multiplication. Summary, in Christ, and listen carefully to this, in Christ, who is the heir of all things, the church has been given the earth. Paul makes it very clear that the land promises are a type of the earth promises. The meek shall inherit the earth, but we must obey if we are to possess it. We must obey if we are to enjoy abundant, prosperous life in the kingdom. Amen, Christ Church? Amen. Amen. Now, one might object and they might say that I don't see the connection between my own behavior and my prosperity. I've been walking with the Lord and I've been obeying Him for all this time and yet I don't have many of the things that you list. 
There's a lot to be said about that, and there's a lot of reasons why that might be, some good, perhaps some bad. But I need you to understand this. You don't determine what is potentially true by your own personal experiences, but by the very word of God. Amen? Practice believing his word and behaving in light of that rather than believing your experiences. We are called to walk by faith, not sight. Amen? Not human reason or ration or how we make sense of providence and what's happened in the past of our lives. We disregard all of that and believe his word, believe his promises, and begin to obey him today. You say, Pastor Brandon, if this is true, if there is a cause and effect relationship between obedience and prosperity, that means there is no hope for me for prosperity because my life is so screwed up. Because I blew my life up so many years ago. Listen, the Apostle Paul was worse than you. For many more years than you've been bad. He spent his entire life learning the tradition of the elders, which was a satanic uh, derivation from the law of God. He spent his entire life climbing the corporate ladder of the Pharisees, which were doomed to destruction. Then he spent a large swath of his life persecuting and murdering Christians. He didn't then wallow in regret. Right? He understood the cause and effect relationship between obedience and prosperity. And he understood that he threw away a lot of his life. And all of those things he worked for, what did he say? I consider them dung, a pile of garbage. But that didn't keep him wallowing in the past. That didn't keep him from activity. What does he say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do. This is what he did, forgetting what lies behind. And straining forward to what lies ahead. Don't let the promises of prosperity and and the obvious connection that they have with your obedience discourage you. Today can be the day where you begin to repent and to believe. Today could be a new day. His mercies are new every morning. And you have no idea how much he could multiply even the most meager of efforts starting today. And I'm going to show you a guy later in scripture that was 85 years old when he got down to business and began to follow the Lord or continue to follow the Lord. And yet, even then, the Lord blessed him and prospered him. It's never too late to begin to believe the promises of God and to obey him in all of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second condition we're going to today is maturity. The first was obedience. There's a cause and effect relationship between obedience and prosperity. There's a cause and effect relationship between maturity and prosperity. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you. What's that next word there? You see that? Testing you. Testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see he gave them manna from the heavens. That's prosperity, right? Bread falling on your head. He gave them water from the rock. He gave them clothing and shoes that never wore out. But it was all a test. You see, God cares more about your maturity than your prosperity. Never never forget that whatever he's dumping on your head, whatever blessings are overtaking you, they're always a test. They're always a test. Will you leverage it for the kingdom or will you begin to trust in riches? 
Will you continue to seek first the kingdom of God in order that all these things might be added unto you? Or will you then be confused and deceived by the deceitfulness of riches and go off to you know, keep score in life another way? Whatever God gives you, whether it be children or education or community or friendships or social ties or time or energy or power or money, it is always about your maturity. At least in part, at least in part. He cares about your maturity. God is more concerned with your maturity than your prosperity. And why? Because his aim is to conform you into the image of Christ. His aim is to conform you into the image of Christ. And so if there's anything that is going to get in the way of that, you can rest assured he will take it from you. Amen, Christ Church? You know, they say that God will never give you anything you can't handle. And there's a little debate about whether or not that's true. And it doesn't mean that God's going to only give you suffering that you can handle by yourself without him. Obviously not. But what it does mean is when it comes to prosperity, God will never give you more than you can handle. Because he's a good, loving father. Would you do that to your own children? Of course not. Right? How many times has winning the lottery destroyed people's lives? Because they couldn't handle it. And God will not give you anything you can't handle. So don't, don't ever forget, it's about your maturity. It's not just about your comfort, right? It's not just about how well you sleep at night. It's about conforming you to the image of Christ. Amen? Amen. Condition number three, dominion. There is a, a direct cause and effect relationship between your dominion taking, your labors, your efforts for the kingdom... And prosperity. The faithless servant who refused to exercise dominion over that one talent and turn it into the money changers that he might get a profit back for the kingdom. He refused to exercise dominion over that one talent. He buried it in the ground and it was taken from him. There is a cause and effect relationship between whether or not you're going to use the resources that he's given you for the kingdom and build upon them and whether he's going to keep giving you more. Look at Deuteronomy chapter... Eight, verse 7. Look at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills. Now, does that mean that they could sit down on their couch and turn on their television and that God had already invented some irrigation system that funneled the water right into their mouths? No, there was a lot of brooks and a lot of streams. And if you know anything about that, that means there's a lot of potential. But the streams have to be cared for. They have to be protected. They have to be dredged. Irrigation canals have to be dug so that they can fan the water out into the various fields. This implied a lot of potential, but it also implied a lot of work that had to be done. Look at verse 8, a land of wheat and barley of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. God doesn't take the olive oil and paste it on bread for you, a nice loaf of barley, and throw it into your mouth. This all means you have got to work. There's a lot of work implied here. We read the prosperity. We see the wheat, the barley. We see the wine. We see the vines. We see the fig trees and pomegranates. Think of all that. Those are fig newtons, right? That's... That's delicious wine. That's uh, honey and, oh, I mean, uh, what do they call that bread that you make at home, all you ladies? 
sourdough bread. Wow, look at all of that. But you've got to do it. Somebody's got to plant it. Someone's got to till it. Someone has to tend it. Someone has to distribute it. Someone has to cook it. Martin Luther said that if you pray for your daily food, that's good. But then you're going to have to work for it. Because God is not going to throw a fried chicken in your mouth. Somebody's got to process the thing. Somebody's got to cook it. And if you refuse to exercise dominion over the small resources that he's given you, then don't expect to be prosperous. You see, the children of Israel in the wilderness, the church, so to speak, they were in their infantile stage. Their infantile, immature stage. They were children. And so, like all children, they were put on welfare. There's nothing wrong with being on welfare when you're a child. The problem is that if you continue to be on welfare after you shouldn't be a child, it keeps you a child. Right? That's the problem with it. But all of our children are on welfare. Right? They are given free food. And if they're really young, you literally fly it into their mouth with the airplane noises and everything. Right? You are like God, raining manna on your children and giving them water. They don't know where it even comes from. They have no idea. No earthly conception. When their shoes wear out, they get new shoes. Shoes that never wear out, right? It's, that, is a, that is a correlation in Scripture. Your children are being cared for the way the church in its infantile stage was cared for, right? But when they took a foot into the promised land, the land of potential, the manna stopped, completely stopped, right? You see, with manna, you don't have to plan. It's going to be there the next day. You don't have to save. You can't even save, right? You can't stockpile it. You can't invest it. It's just there to eat. It's like a baby who gets his bottle, and that's that. But when they stepped into the promised land, it was time to participate with God in kingdom building. It was time to get to work. They were going to have to plant and sow and dig. They were not going to be able to remain in their infantile stage. And if they did remain immature, they would not prosper. But if they exercised dominion in obedience to his law, that was our first condition, with increasing maturity, that's the second condition, they could expect increased population and increased prosperity. Amen, Christ Church? Look one more time at verse 9. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity... No scarcity. No scarcity. You see, gold is scarce. That's why it's valuable. You don't want bread to be scarce. There would be no scarcity when it comes to bread, but that would only be if they would exercise dominion, if they would participate in this kingdom building. In which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron. Now, you, you imagine this in your own mind. We're in verse 9 here. Were the stones that they looked out and saw actually stones of iron. Were they just iron blocks out there? Iron ore. Oh, there's a steel building out there. No, it's just rocks. It's just rocks. And, and out of the, whose hills you can dig copper. It wasn't copper um, AC lines laying around. They had to turn those stones through mining operations into copper and then into pots and then into swords and shields. They were the ones who would have to do that because sanctification is a participatory event. Amen, Christ Church? Caleb is a great example. It's Joshua chapter 14, verse 11. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with this story, I'd encourage you to read it. Caleb was 40 years old when he looked out over the promised land with faith. 
and saw the giants, but said, let's do this. God's on our side. He was 40 years old. 45 years later, after the land had been distributed, Caleb is 85 years old. And look what he says in verse 11. I like this. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. That's pretty good for an 85-year-old to be as strong as a 40-year-old. I doubt that he means that literally. What he probably means is, Moses, if you give me what I'm about to ask you for, I still got some fight left in me. Look at verse 12. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. See, 45 years later, Caleb remembered that God had allocated a particular portion of land for him. And he was ready to have it. Let me take possession of it. He's 85 years old. I still got some fight left in me. He's not ready to retire. Not like that. And then he says, look, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there. That's the giants. With great fortified cities. Giants are scary enough. These are giants with castles. That's something. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. That's something else. That's a man who is ready to believe the Lord's promises of prosperity and to take the land. That's Caleb. What a great example. But what was it, as we move on to our next condition, what was it that enabled Caleb to see giants and think, that would make a great place for my grandchildren to play? To see castles with giants and think, you know what? A church would go great right there. And, and we'll build a little neighborhood right here. You, you know, people, first-time home buyers, you go and you look at the home. And, and some people have a vision and other people don't have a vision. Some people see minor imperfections and they're, I'm out of here, I'm out of here. But other people, the people that make a lot of money and get equity in their homes, they see it for the potential that it is. They have a vision. They know with a little bit of work, this, this shack can turn into a mansion. Those are the people that find the great deals. What is the difference between people who see giants and think playground for my grandchildren and those people who see giants and shrink back and don't ever do anything and don't ever take any risks? The difference is that Caleb had faith. Faith in what? In the promises that God had given him. He knew the promises of God, remembered them 45 years later, told Moses, I know you remember them too, right? And actually told Joshua, I know you remember them too, and went out in faith to accomplish what God had called him to do. He had faith. If we, Christ Church, are going to possess the land, Acadiana, if we're going to reap the bountiful harvest that we could for future generations, we have to cultivate the ability to spot opportunities to prosper. We have to be able to look out at Acadiana, to look out at our family, to look into our own hearts. And where others might see rocks and not take risks, we see copper. Where others see giants and not take the risk, we see a future that our great-grandchildren can enjoy. Hmm. When you look at yourself, and I hope everyone is listening to me right now, you must look at it with the eyes of faith. You, you don't let the devil dis cause you to despair because of your past. 
You block out that voice of despair and that doubt and that suspicion and those anxieties and those fears. And you look at yourself. Right now, you might just be a land filled with rocks. But there is a lot of potential because, not because of you, but because you have the promises of God. So when you look at yourself, you look at yourself with the eyes of faith. You see your gifts, not in comparison to other people, but as particular gifts for your particular specialization in this land. And you look at your resources, what you have in the bank, what you have in the tank, what you have in your heart, your passions, your zeals, your desires, your energy, your power, your time, your children, your family, your houses. You look at your resources and you look at them with the eyes of faith. God could turn this, these two, two, two breads of, loaves of bread and, and five fish. I can't remember which one was which. He can turn that into food for thousands. But you have to have faith in the very words that he speaks to you. And when you look out at the rocky land of your own life, I'm tempted to do this, and I know many of you are tempted to do this as well. You look out and you consider your own future, and it looks rocky, right? It, it, is there going to be any fruitfulness in my future? Does God have a wonderful plan for my future? Right? And then you look out at all your available prospects, and you see nothing. There's nothing that is obvious to you. It's in those moments that not only do you look at yourself with the eyes of faith, you have to look at your surroundings with the eyes of faith, able to spot opportunities where other people don't see it. If he can turn stones into the children of Abraham, and he can, then he can provide any one of your kingdom desires at any point he desires. Where most of us might see a lost soul, May all of us here at Christ Church see someone who could be filled with the Spirit of God and therefore take the risk to evangelize. Where other people might see a broken family, we should see potential. We should see a family that could be engaged in kingdom work and much fruitfulness. Where others might see a family tree that will go on in deadness forever, we look at that and we see a family tree that could blossom like the rod of Aaron. Where others see suffering and affliction, we should see suffering and affliction as an opportunity for us to be sanctified, for us to be trained, for us to be matured. Where others see dangers and the downside, glass half empty sort of folks, I hope all of us, armed with the promises of God, would become hopeful opportunistic, like we're looking for opportunities, we have expectancy, and the glass is always half full, not half empty. Amen? Where most would only see a peanut, we need to see 300 potential uses for the love of a neighbor. And thank God he did that for us. And where most of us would see sand, and sand is annoying. You ever try to camp on the beach? May we see silicon. And computer chips that fly satellites. God has given us so much. This land is a land of milk and honey, of vines, of olive trees, of abundance and prosperity, but only if we meet the prerequisites. By faith, through grace, obey, mature, take dominion, and believe his promises. Let's all stand.
As the musicians come forward, let's ask God that he would continue to keep his word to us. Father, you have promised us so many great things. Multiplication, a legacy, a land. Would you give us the grace and strength we need to perhaps begin fighting the giants today or to keep on fighting the giants and not give up tomorrow? And would you multiply our meager efforts? And would you keep us from the doubt that there's nothing laying out there for us and that our gifts and our resources aren't sufficient? Would you keep us from doubt and instead help us to cast all of our cares on you and to hope in you? We thank you that you have blessed us with so much. May we never forget you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.